I'm Bex and welcome to the Week Junior Show. Today I'm joined by three of the team from the Week Junior, the magazine making sense of the world for 8 to 14 year olds. This week we've got features editor Ben, plus writers Eve and James. Uh, Ben, can you tell us what's going on in the new issue please? I certainly can and I want to start by talking about the cover because I was I was sat next to our art director Dave as he was putting the finishing touches to the cover yesterday and he was enjoying himself so much. The cover story is about the the protest that we're going to cover later in the show and we wanted to focus on the word change so Dave had to go and find lots of words for change in different languages and scatter them around the cover so see how many uh, languages you can identify and also we've got a chicken and he wanted the chicken to be talking so the chicken says cluck which we've decided is chicken for the word change but we we talk about uh, chicken communication as well in the issue and we also got other fun things like a review of uh, the new game Mario Strikers we talk about how to go book shopping effectively you know you've got to do it properly because the summer of readings coming up you want to do your best book shopping and we got james to write about what he says is the greatest film of all time poorly <laughs> it's about a talking parrot so if you want to know why james says this is the greatest film of all time which is what he definitely told me last week you can find out about it in this week's issue oh my goodness worth it for that alone i'm intrigued all right thanks ben uh, if you want to find out more about the week junior ask a grown-up to go to theweekjunior.co.uk slash podcast and use the code podcast to sign up for a six-week free trial so on to this week's episode of The Week Junior Show, we'll find out about an exciting shipwreck discovery, a special protest in Sweden, and a change to plans for rewilding in the UK. Plus, we'll have a debate all about whether rich countries should do more to help refugees. But before all of that, given that we'll be talking about a shipwreck, uh, I want to know, what do you wish you could discover underwater? Ben, you can go first. Thanks, Bex. I would love to find the lost city of Atlantis, which is this m- mythical city that was was written about in the in ancient Greece, and it was this wonderful, perfect society, and it was full of kind of like half god, half human people, and then and then it disappeared, and people have liked to speculate about what happened to it, and one of the one of the theories behind the city that probably didn't exist was that there was a tsunami and it was submerged and that it's underwater so there are a lot of stories out there about people discovering the lost city of atlantis underwater and potentially even with people who have evolved to live underwater if i found that i think was very cool and i'd also have to tell them look i'm not a very good swimmer do i still get to live here and they probably say no I'm annoyed at you, Ben, because you picked the thing I was going to say originally. And as soon as I saw this question, I was like, I know the answer. I got this. Atlantis. But no, you've picked that one first. I'll let you have it. Uh, Eve, how about you? Well, speaking of perfect societies, uh, I would love to find a real life Bikini Bottom, you know, the little town where SpongeBob and his friends live. Because I'd love to see an actual pineapple under the sea. And I'd love to try a Krabby Patty burger, you know, find out what that special secret ingredient is inside the Krabby Patty. So that would be pretty cool. You know what? I'm a big fan of SpongeBob, and therefore I will allow it. I'm gonna get, I'm gonna give you a, a pass on that one. I think that's a great shout, James. How about you? What would you like to find? Well, I'd really like to find a new species. There's so many species found in the ocean every year, so I'd really like to find one. I'd like to say that it's because I want to kind of further science, but I think it's really for selfish reasons. I just want to give it my own name, name it after myself, or maybe name it after a SpongeBob character. Who knows? <laughs> I was going to say, would you name it after yourself? And you answered my question. Um, so <laughs> I feel name like it I... poorly. <laughs> oh yeah, that's true. 
Good to know. All right. Well, I um, there are all great options, guys. I of course, the obvious answer for this one, I suppose, is also you know hidden treasure. You want to find a load of pirate treasure, right? Um, but also, I was thinking about this one a little harder. And when I when I really really put my mind to it, I realised what I'd love to find underwater is Sebastian from The Little Mermaid. That's what I want a talking um, crustacean. That's all I want, to sing to me and tell me about my life choices. So I've, I've gone for Sebastian from The Little Mermaid and I'm going to put it out there, guys. Some great choices today. Well done to all of us for knocking it out of the park. Uh, now, it's going to be a brilliant summer for losing yourself in a book and the Week Junior's annual Summer of Reading campaign is about to kick off. This year, there's a very special event happening to go with it. Here's Catherine Woodfine, author of the Sinclair's Mysteries and Taylor and Rose Secret Agents series to tell us a little bit more about what you can expect and how to get involved. Hey there listeners of the Week Junior Show. I'm Catherine Woodfine and I'm here to tell you about the first ever Summer of Reading live event. We're so excited to be adding a live element to our Summer of Reading this year. So come along and join us to meet an amazing lineup of authors and illustrators at the British Library in London on Saturday the 16th of July. You can take part in an interactive drawing masterclass with Rob Biddulph, join Shana Jackson to hear about her new mystery adventure, or set off on an intrepid journey with M.G. Leonard and Sam Sedgman, plus lots more. For all the details and to book tickets, just visit futureevents.uk forward slash The Week Junior Live. OK, now it's time for our real or rubbish. Uh, ben, tell me, what are you trying to say to me today? OK, well, I'm sure many people listening to this enjoy school, but are not yet thinking about university because it's, it's way off. But university is a really great option if you want to learn lots of new things and progress in your career. And did you now know that cats can get university degrees. Now, oh, I know that sounds crazy, but there's there's a there's a particular there's a particular reason I'm saying this. So a cat Come called on. Suki has graduated from the University of Texas in Austin, US. And that's because she sat in on every online class with her owner. Now, the university could see that she was uh, that the cat was there with with her owner Francesca in these in these online classes because you know, you can see everyone in the class. And the university was so impressed that it decided to let Suki graduate alongside Francesca and get her own special diploma. Francesca said, whenever I would have my Zoom lecture on, it's like Suki almost wanted to listen in on it and she would always just sit by my laptop. So what do you think? Is this true or are we pulling your whiskers? If it's true, I am cross. Because are we saying Suki did the exams? Did she do the coursework? Did she put in the hard work? Beside from just being, we've all been to lectures, Ben. We all we all sat in classrooms and classes and pretended to listen. Doesn't mean we've actually listened to it. Maybe Suki was just waiting for her food. Well, it's it's possible, um, but maybe they could see a little glint in her eyes that she was understanding, understanding the course, understanding understanding the lecturer. And you know, I guess for Suki it was more university than university. But mm. why, why would she, why would she sit there and stare into the screen when those lectures were on if she was not taking in the information? So I guess that's why the university would decide. Look, do you know what? You're a very special cat, attending all these lectures. We're going to give you. We're going to give you a degree. Look, Ben, it's not a perfect story and I <laughs> yeah correct I still I've still got some issues here are we saying did the cat get to go to graduation and wear like the little graduation hat the little mortarboard and the gown and everything like that um, if you could see what I could see right now you would see a cat wearing a mortarboard and a gown 
Yeah, but is that just your private life though? That's that's nothing to do with the story. <laughs> I'm very much a dog person. Everyone knows that. <laughs> the the story with this picture, um, Francesca and Suki matching black uh, black gowns and mortarboards mm. with uh, with yellow tassels and trim. I'm just wondering whether the story is really that a lovely cat owner got a bit too involved with her cat and decided to make her cat a graduation gown and cap and pretend that she was graduating with her, but really the university had nothing to do with it because this seems like a waste of the university's time. I mean, it's fun, don't get me wrong, but would you actually... Would you would you let that happen? Would, if you know, and also like other people have paid thousands of pounds or dollars to get graduated from this university, and a cat has done it for free. Yes, but the university they want they want more students, right? Especially if you have to pay to go there, they want to attract students. This is a great bit of advertising for them, don't you think? It is, but would you want to do the same course and same degree that a cat graduated from? Like, uh, can you imagine being like, yeah, my degree, yeah, it's the same one that little Fluffy and Whiskers have also done, and I got less of a grade than they did. Um, I mean, yes, that would that would be the that would be the situation that I'd be, and I would definitely fall behind the pets. Yeah. But it's good to have something to aim for as well to try and to try and overtake the uh, the small house mammals to beat a cat. Um, all right, well, I'm not sure about this. It could be, like you say, it could be a good advertising thing, but also. I just feel like the cat did not earn it. It needed to put in some more wow. coursework. Um, I don't know why I've taken this hardline stance. I'm not too sure what's happened here. It's because you're um, a dog if, person. If this was a if, dog, you'd have been like, yeah, 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 definitely. All dogs should have degrees. I think that might be it. I think it could be. It could come down to that. Um, if you've not read your copy of the magazine yet, feel free to make your guess before the end of the show. We can find out the answer together. So now it's time for our three most interesting stories from this week. Uh, James, what do you have for us? Well, this is the news that the government has cut back on some of its environmental policies and shifted its focus to farming. So last year, the government announced something called the Landscape Recovery Scheme, um, which is all about uh, investing in rewilding, so turning farmland into woodland and wetland and habitats for wildlife. But now that scheme has been cut back and the government's new food strategy is focused on helping farmers to produce more food. So as you might imagine, this has been welcomed by the National Farmers Union, but it's been criticised by lots of different conservation groups. So what's made the government change its mind? Well, one reason is that there's lots of pressure on the government to deal with rising food prices. Um, the Prime Minister, when he was defending the new policy, said this is about helping to support UK food and farming at a particularly important time. And what he might be referring to here is things like the war in Ukraine that are threatening food supplies. So the idea really is to make the UK more self-sufficient. So that means it can produce enough of its own food without relying on other countries. So as the food strategy put it, they want a secure food supply in an unpredictable world. All right. Thanks very much, James. Uh, next up, Ben, what do you have for us? I want to talk about the historic shipwreck uh, of HMS Gloucester. This was a Royal Navy warship sank way back in 1682, and it has now been identified off the coast of Norfolk in England. The ship was actually found in 2007, but it's been kept a secret. And the reason it was kept a secret was they had to protect the site. because Otherwise, everyone would be like, oh, I'm going to go and take a look at this. I'm going to check this out. And they had to confirm that it was indeed HMS Gloucester because people had been looking for this for quite a long time. 
Um, loads of amazing artifacts have been found, clothes and shoes that have survived. Uh, the ship's bell has been recovered from the wreck as well. And in spring 2023, people can see some of these objects because they're going to go on display at Norwich Castle and Museum Gallery, which isn't too far from where the wreck was found. And people have said this is the most important warship shipwreck that's been found and recovered since the Mary Rose in 1982. And they're significant because they can tell us so much about the way that wars were waged back in those days and how shipfaring um, worked in the past. So who was on the ship? Well, there was someone actually very famous on the ship. Um, future King James Stewart was on the ship. Now he didn't die because he became King James II of England and Ireland and King James VII of Scotland. But it's said that he might be to blame for people dying in the shipwreck. So he had been arguing with the captain about the navigation and King James, future King James, refused to leave the ship when it looked like there was a problem. And because of protocol, people were not allowed to leave the ship if a royal was on board. A royal always had to be the first to leave the ship. So a lot of people got stuck on the ship and ended up dying. And part of the research that will be done and before the display is figuring out who else was on it and being able to tell their stories, because just because they're not famous uh, doesn't mean their story shouldn't be told. Yeah, uh, fair enough. Absolutely. Thank you, Ben. Uh, right, Eve, what do you have for us? So last week in Stockholm in Sweden, there was a protest against climate change, which is long term changes in world weather patterns caused by human activities. And three really important activists actually joined forces at the protest. So Greta Thunberg was there, the Swedish environmental activist. And then Vanessa Nakati was there, a climate campaigner from Uganda. And then also Malala Yousafzai, who is a campaigner for girls' rights to education. And she actually recently received the Cannes Lionheart Award for her efforts in making a genuine difference to the world. So she received that in May. But yeah, so the three of them came together to join forces at the protest. I love this, like a super group. Uh, so yeah. what did the three campaigners discuss at the protest? So they were focusing on the effects of climate change on girls' education. So Malala said, due to climate-related events, millions of girls lose their access to schools. Events like droughts and floods impact schools directly, and girls are impacted the most. They are the first ones to drop out of schools and the last ones to return. <clears throat> and Vanessa Nakate said that it's really important to educate girls in fighting climate change to reduce the effects of it on our planet. And Greta Thunberg said, any girl can change the world if given the right tools to do so. Oh, some good mottos and some great thoughts there. Thanks, Eve. And uh, now, as well as reading more about these stories in the week, Junior, you can also read a review of Escape to the River Sea, a magical and atmospheric adventure exploring the importance of conservation. It is written by Emma Carroll, and here she is to tell us a little bit more about herself. Hi there, listeners of the Week Junior Show. My name is Emma Carroll, and I'm the author of Escape to the River Sea, which has been selected as Book of the Week in the current issue of the magazine. And I'm here to answer two very important questions. Firstly, do I like Marmite? Well, I can't get through the day without Marmite, so I think the answer to that is a resounding yes. Uh, secondly, what was my favourite book growing up? Well, my favourite book growing up was definitely a story called For Love of a Horse by an author called Patricia Leach.
Okay, so it's time for the big debate. This week, we're asking whether rich countries should do more to help refugees. Uh, what do I need to know about this one? Um, well, first, we need to know exactly what a refugee is. And refugees are people who have left their home country because of war, conflict, or the threat of violence. The United Nations, that's a group of 193 countries that work together on the challenges facing humanity, they say there are around 26 million refugees in the world today. And if you're listening to this in the middle of June, then Refugee Week is coming up, or has happened. It's taking place from the 20 to the 26th of June. And this year, the focus of Refugee Week will be highlighting the fact that the number of refugees is rising around the world. Many wars and conflicts, for example, in Afghanistan, Ethiopia, Ukraine and Yemen, have forced millions of people to leave their homes. Many of them are just unable to return. They need somewhere to call home and rebuild their lives safely. 85% of refugees are hosted in poorer countries. The UK is home to around 1% of the world's refugees. The, the countries that host the most um, include Turkey, Uganda, Pakistan and Germany. In fact, thinking about the, the conflict in Ukraine, which is happening right now, Germany has welcomed 700,000 Ukrainian refugees compared with just 60,000 taken in by the UK. So the richer developed countries have got the most money and resources to help. So should they be doing more? Interesting. OK, this is going to be Eve versus James, guys. Obviously, as you know, you've got a minute on the clock. I'm going to be challenging Eve to go first. She's going to say why we should do more to help refugees. Uh, whenever you're ready, take it away. Well, as Ben correctly pointed out, poorer countries are already doing their bit to support refugees, such as Jordan in the Middle East or Colombia in South America. And so... If they can do their bit to support refugees, then surely richer countries should as well, because they actually have more money to do it. And also, rich countries can benefit from the skills and experiences that people from other countries and cultures will bring. And so that should be embraced and celebrated. Um, and if richer countries can afford to help people and protect them, then why shouldn't they? It's important to, you know, be kind and to help people after they've been through so much. And so, to me, the obvious answer is yes. <laughs> All right. OK, lovely stuff from Eve. Uh, James, you have to argue against her. So whenever you're ready, go for it. Well, I think I've got the baddies role here, but here we go. Um, so refugees, there's a reason refugees go to neighbouring countries. They're closer, they're easier, they're more familiar, whereas richer countries might be very far away. So it, it might often be better to actually support the developing countries that are hosting the refugees rather than directly supporting the refugees themselves. Um, and also, even rich countries only have a certain amount of resources, so there might be better ways to spend that money. For example, investing in peace processes to actually rebuild the war-torn country itself and help um, that to get back on its feet. So we've mentioned that refugees can often bring skills to um, rich countries, but why should rich countries get to hog all those young, skilled people? Uh, when peace comes back to the war-torn country, they're going to need those doctors um, those engineers. So they need to stay close to home, they need to stay in a neighbouring country so that they can avoid something called a brain drain. Um, and finally, not all rich countries are the same. So to say that all rich countries need to do more um, doesn't make sense when, as we've mentioned, Germany has taken in millions of refugees in the past few years. Um, some countries have more space than others. The UK is very densely populated. Other countries, like the America, for example, um, might have more space. So I think there are 
other ways to help which aren't necessarily directly supporting refugees. All right. Well, there's a little over a minute, but I'm going to give you that because that was a really, really tough one. Uh, ben, what do you think? Um, I think that James did a really good job. And the important thing in, in these debates as well is that it isn't simply here's what I believe. It's a matter of being able to look at two sides to any argument and be able to see what what someone what someone might feel, even if you even if you don't, because that's what makes that's what makes a good debate. Um, I would have to side with Eve on this one. Um, richer countries need to be doing a lot more. Um, it, it is it is understandable to to say that. Well, you know, if you're a neighbouring country, then it's easier for you to, to take them in. But what really matters is the, the money to be able to support those people and. We can applaud Germany for everything that it has done, a country just as densely populated as the UK, um, and that the UK, the UK should do, UK should do more. So it's not all rich countries, it's certain rich countries should do more. And it feels like, to me, the UK should probably do more, personally. All right, then. This is a tricky one. So I want to know what the listeners think. Uh, go and respond to the poll right now at theweekjunior.co.uk slash polls or email hello at theweekjunior.co.uk with a video clip explaining which side of the debate you support and why. Last week, we asked if people should read for fun every day. And the result was a very clear big yes from all of the eager bookworms out there. Uh, because yes, won by 80% to 20%. Yeah, Marissa emailed us to say, I love reading, but I don't think people should be forced to read. If you're forced to do anything, you're unlikely to enjoy it because you are reluctant. Reading should always be enjoyable. A pop jammer told us, if you don't want to, you shouldn't be forced to read, but it is good practice and an important life skill. Another person on Pop Jam agreed, saying it depends whether you enjoy it or not. If you like it, you should definitely read for fun. But if not, you shouldn't be forced to. So remember, get involved, grab grown up, record a video telling us what you reckon about this week's debate, then send it in to us at hello at theweekjunior.co.uk and we could play it out on next week's show. So before we go, we've got to recap that real or rubbish story. Uh, ben, can you remind me what it was, please? Yes, it's that the university, sorry, University <laughs> of Texas um, has given a diploma and a degree to a cat called Suki because the cat attended every single online class with her owner. So, your call, oh, Bex. Yeah, no, this is a tricky one. Of course, you know, over over lockdown and stuff, everything was online, and normally this wouldn't have been a thing that could be allowed to happen, but um, it is plausible in that respect that the cat was in every lecture. But also, again, I keep coming back to the, the cat has done no coursework. The cat has done no essays. The cat has done no exams. How right. on earth can you justify this? Right. If, if you're a listener listening to this, I bet there is at least one person in your class in school who it seems seems to do well and the teacher likes them, even though they don't seem to do much work or they're always copying other people's work. I, I bet everyone knows somebody like that. And I get I guess this yeah, cat could yeah, just be their, their equivalent. I was going to say, Ben, that person's not a cat, though. That is, it's not like there's, there's not a cat sitting in there in clothing, kind of just kind of chilling out and, and getting, you know, your sats done for you. I just I, I find this very confusing, Ben. I, I don't. I think with anything on. like this, you have to look at who benefits. Right. Who benefits yeah. the most from this? Is it is it the cat? Is it the owner? Is it the university? Does the university have a motivation to do this? So that's that's what it comes down to for me. Who's most motivated, the cat's owner 
the cat or the university? I'll tell you who's getting something out of this, the university, because we're chatting about the university right now and people might in future be like, yeah, I'll go and apply to that university, the one that gave a degree to a cat. And that's where it falls down because I feel like I wouldn't apply to somewhere who gave a degree to a cat because I'd feel a bit like, that's, that's where I'd feel a bit bad about it and a bit inferior to a cat. That well. being said, I'm, I'm don't, yeah, don't try, don't, you've said your piece, Ben, you've, you've had me. <laughs> I just wanted to say that intellectually you are superior to any cat I've ever met. That, that damning with faint praise, I mean, I'll take it, thank you, because I do like a compliment, but that is, um, I don't know how many cats you've met, you know, that's the problem. Um, I am going to say, against my better judgment, this story is real. Okay, all right, yeah. all right, drum roll, please. Oh, Bex is rubbish. Oh. Now, now, Suki did go to all the classes, but yeah. the university wanted nothing to do with any of this. Um, simply, the owner loved the idea of dressing up her cat. She dresses up her cat all the time. She's really into it. And oh. she went online, found a costume, and she felt she wanted, because Suki had been there, a constant I guess companion. This. She wanted, she wanted to dress the cat up and make the cat part of her special day. But yeah, the university was unaware of all of it. I guess, oh, I'm annoyed at myself and at cats in general. I guess that to begin with, I'd say, oh boy. Right, yeah. I'm annoyed, yeah. annoyed at that. You led me the wrong way. You did it on yeah. I mean, obviously. Oh yeah. yeah. Yes, 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 yes. <sighs> Right, okay, well, I'm going to have to go and think about my life choices if I thought a cat could get a degree. Uh, before we go, there is just one more thing we need to tell you about. It is the Week Junior newsletter. It's an info-packed email for the grown-ups who subscribe to the magazine and who want to know more about the highlights of each issue and some behind-the-scenes secrets. If you're a grown-up subscriber, you can sign up at theweekjunior.co.uk slash newsletter. And that is it for this episode of The Week Junior Show. Thanks to Ben... Eve and James, drop us a comment on Pop Jam at The Week Junior or email hello at theweekjunior.co.uk and don't forget to rate, review and subscribe or follow us wherever it is you get your podcast. Bye. Thanks for listening to The Week Junior Show, which is made by the same people that make The Week Junior magazine. You can get a free trial of The Week Junior by heading to theweekjunior.co.uk forward slash podcast and using the code podcast at checkout. I'm James Stewart, and in Saving Planet Earth, I'm going to be joined by some of the world's top scientists to introduce you to some of the weird and wonderful ideas being trialled to try and save our planet. Led, of course, by your questions. Hi, James. I know that climate change is affecting our oceans. Is there anything that's being done to look after it? And one of the solutions involves dolphin poo. (laughs) This is Saving Planet Earth. Available wherever you get your podcasts.